coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. Welcome. I'm Barbara Gon Mueller, and you're listening to peacepodcast.org. And you know, I started this years ago so that we could talk about peace leading to happiness, health, and of course, to peace. But not because you yourself might believe in it, but because of the people I have on this program. They allow you to expand your thinking. They're authors, they're early Rotarians, as our guest today, Carolyn Jones, was one of the first women Rotarian in Alaska in the Rotary Club in 1987. She was telling me that she probably could have been the first. But you know, it, it boils down to women are finally now in Rotary, and we're making a difference, right, Carolyn? I hope so. I sure hope so. Well, this Carol, Miss Carolyn Jones is amazing. I was watching, I said, I've never had so much fun getting ready for an interview as I have watching the things that she is on. If you Google Carolyn Jones Rotary, you will just be blown away as I was by all of the people who have taken the chance to have her speak and making sure that she gets the recognition she deserves. She was joined, as I said, in 1987. She was the first Rotarian in a probably all-male group. From 97 to 98, she was the governor of RI District 5010. She completed four years of college and her term as a Rotarian. Well, you did more than four years of college because you graduated from Yale Law School. So how long does it take to get a lawyer degree? Well, four years of undergraduate and three years of law school. Yeah, so it's seven years, yeah. Well, tell me about that. Um, being a lawyer, weren't you one of the first women lawyers also? Um, I was not one of the first women lawyers, but we were definitely rare. And in fact, um, until I got to law school, I always thought if something unfair happened to me and, and disappointing in my life, it was because of the color of my skin. It was when I got to law school that I learned for the first time that I had another strike against me and that uh, women were not looked upon fondly in the legal world. So um, it was very, very hard to get a job in those days. It was, it was very, very hard to even get respect. Some of, some of our uh, law professors couldn't even accept that we were there not in a nasty way, but like I'd raise my hand and my, my, my professor would say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that something, you know, two strikes against you, but they never held you back. You know, you think about just being a woman should be an advantage, but in the past it hasn't been. It was not. <laughs> And yet you made it through. Okay, now you've been through law school, you went through jail, Yale, and you have really allowed yourself to bloom and blossom. So as you've been going through your life, have you found a special meaning for the word peace? How do you keep peace in your life? Because I look at you as one of the most peaceful women I know. You're, you're just peace looking at you. How do you do that? Um, well, how you, you see me as, as peaceful, um, it's taken a long time to evolve to this point. Uh, I thought about, you know, what is peace? And the first thing that came to mind had nothing to do with peace. It had to do with the U.S. Supreme Court decision back in the 60s that was about obscenity. 
And, and one justice says, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh -huh. And the same thing I think is true of peace. Um, you, if you ask many people what peace is, they will give you different definitions. Even uh, if you ask peace fellows at our, our university programs, they will give you different definitions. But when I think about it, um, for me, it would start with the obvious, it's absence of war, and then it's the absence of conflict. And finally, it's just people treating each other with respect. That's beautiful, to read each other with respect. You mentioned that we have these opportunities, as I was listening to some of your previous interviews, these opportunities that kind of just come to us. And you did mention in one of the, um, I guess it, you were the women, Alaskan Women's Hall of Fame, you were inducted into that beautiful location. I bet there weren't too many women in there, were there? Uh, well, you know, we got a lot of good women here in Alaska. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was actually, I think, the third class. Well, you know, you are, it's very interesting because you were born in New York, Terrytown, right? Uh, oh, Port Chester, New York, same county, but yes. Well, how were uh, you, how did you get to Alaska? That's what I couldn't figure out in all those interviews <laughs> I've been watching. How did she get there? Did she just migrate and go by herself? Oh, <laughs> well, definitely. It was not the plan. My plan was I was going to live and die in the San Francisco Bay Area and I was practicing law there. I had a lovely job, more money than I'd ever earned in my small lifetime, and very nice people, but it wasn't me. So I started looking for a new job, and in my first year of job searching, I came in first twice, and I didn't get either job. And what it told me was, that all the lawyers in America wanted to live and die in San Francisco Bay Area, and this might take a while. And in the meantime, I, um, I was restless in the job where I was because I knew it was gonna be hard to keep doing a good job at it if I wasn't happy. So I made a vow that at once a week, I would apply for one job outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. And I happened to be applying when the Alaska Attorney General's office was looking for a lawyer to represent the State Commission for Human Rights. I got it. Here I am. The State Commission for Human Rights. There is nobody more qualified than you to do that. And they picked you right away, didn't they? Uh, well, there were seven candidates, and uh, I uh, this time I was first. You know, it's almost like your DNA brought you there. It's like you, you, you are human rights to me. So let's talk a little bit about human rights, and let's talk a little bit about Rotarians and the why you have served on the Rotary. Let's see, I'm going to look it up so I don't make a mistake. That you have served on the Rotary Foundation Board of Directors, the first woman ever. And I just can't get over all the firsts that you have created. You've traveled to Russia 35 times. But you know what really got me out of everything I read about you? Your love for children. That mm. really just, it just made me so proud to be a woman. The way you talked about working with the orphans and the people, the children of Russia. Your story is, it says her story, the children of Russia was published in July 20. 02, issue of the Rotarian, and then Chicken Soup for the Volunteer Soul. Talk a little bit about that. About the children of Russia? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, 
I, I was district governor elect, the, the term just before you become governor of, of, of your district. And I accompanied the district governor to Eastern Russia where he was gonna charter some new rotary clubs. And when we got to Tomsk, Russia, uh, we were each being housed by a local Rotarian in a new club. And my uh, host said, Carolyn, could you take time out of your busy day? I wanna show you what's gonna be our first rotary project. Tomsk is right next to a, a town called Seversk where there's a nuclear power plant and it had been leaking radiation and a lot of children were showing up at the hospitals with leukemia and other form of cancers of the blood. Uh, but at that time in 97, that was when Russia was going through its own evolution, um, the hospitals weren't receiving their monthly stipend from the national government and the doctors had no way of purchasing the medicine that could cure these kids. So this club had decided it was gonna to try to raise enough money to buy a cancer therapy treatment and save the lives of these kids. So I went to visit um, them and met the five kids there and their mothers who had moved into the hospital and thanked me for coming. I went back that night to our celebratory dinner and told everyone what I'd seen and other Russians came up and started telling me other stories about children who were in distress, parents who were abandoning their, their kids on street corners because they couldn't afford to take care of them, kids in hospitals, um, kids uh, who, who couldn't go to school. It, 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 and if you look at the food chain, when a country doesn't have much money to operate, um, children are often at the bottom of the list and social services is often at the bottom of the list. And that's what was happening. So that, then I went home and I mentioned to some Rotarians in my district what I'd seen and what could we do. And in the six weeks between that visit and when I became governor, we came up with the idea, let's uh, try to raise money for the children of Russia. I put together a little speech, a few slides, got lots of invites, and by the end of the year, uh, we had raised over $600,000 to finance 30 uh, Rotary grants to help kids in 22 communities in Eastern Russia. And that was the beginning. That is amazing. I didn't even expect to ask you that question, but I am so glad you were in the right place at the right time and you took advantage of it. Oh, you were just amazing. So tell me, has Rotary created opportunities for women? And what are the opportunities that you see in the future for us Rotarian women? Mm -hmm. um, well, for me, uh, I think the, fir the first, one of, one, one of the first things it did for me, and I wasn't looking for it, was it gave me personal new best friends for life. I met people in my Rotary Club whose paths I would have never crossed in Anchorage had I not joined Rotary. And some of them, in fact, I don't, always agree with politically, but we don't talk about that at Rotary. And we have many other things we can talk about that are really important to us. Uh, another thing it has done is it's opened up leadership roles for women um, and leadership roles help you, they, they make you stronger at, at that leadership position and in everything else you do after that. Leadership, that is really a key word for women today. And they may step back and say, wait a minute, I'm not a leader. How did you get over that? Did you step back and say, well, maybe I'm not a leader? Or did you just know you had it in you? Because I want to support women who are thinking about leadership roles. Um, I never thought I'm a leader or I want to be a leader. 
um, but I've always acted like one. And I, and I, I don't know if it comes partly in your genes, but I'm sure part of it for me is that I'm an only child of a single working parent. And it meant that um, I needed to be able to take care of myself. Uh, there were times when I was on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were times when I needed to make little tiny decisions. There were lots of times when I had to pitch in and help my mother with things. Uh, so I, I anyway, I, I just evolved more and more into being a leader. And then the, the interests that I had were often um, leadership roles. I, I remember the church I went to was a very traditional church. And in that church, the minister was black, all the deacons were black, and the women uh, wore white gloves and they were ushers. And even as a little girl going to church, I just, it just bothered me that all I could ever be was an usher. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you need more than that, right? So mm-hmm. what did you do to make that happen? Well, uh, I actually, uh, in, the, in the youth groups uh, that we had in church, I, I was a leader. But a- afterwards, I have to say that once I left home and started going to college, I stopped going to church on a regular basis. <laughs> Uh huh. You know, it's interesting because we didn't really have a lot of role models. I could, the only thing I could ever think of us, I could be a preacher because I went to church and I saw preachers and I saw there were no women preachers. So I pretended to be a woman preacher. And so we had to pretend because they didn't have role models for us. My mother said, you were born, you're going to be a teacher. And I said, nope, I'm going to be a preacher. And my grandfather said, I'm going to be a peacemaker. So I said, that's what I'm going to be, mom teacher preacher pacemaker and she said well if you can be the teacher then you'll have an income all your life and I said okay mom so anyway did your mom influence you too Carolyn um well I mean we grew I we grew up together mm-hmm. uh, the two of us and she was always in my life and uh, always my best supporter in fact she she was determined that I wasn't going to waste my abilities. When I was when I was about two years old, my aunt, who is was a school teacher, told my mother she thought I had potential to be more than what little black kids were growing up to be at that time. And that she she thought that I would do well in school and then I could go to college and I could be more than cleaning somebody else's house. And my mother um, she had been deprived of the opportunity to be what she wanted to be because she wanted to be a nurse. My grandfather wouldn't let her go to nursing school. He said that education was wasted on women because they just got married and had babies. So when she saw that maybe I had a chance, she was not going to let me squander it. And so she, she, she made sure, you know, that I did my homework. Or I remember when I was 16 or 17 and I finally could have my first date, she said, if your grades go down, that's the end of dating. Awesome. So. So for the next semester, my grades went up. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have children? I have two daughters, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. I, yes. Adopted love daughters. of your life, I'm sure. My daughter is my love of my life. And I have a son, daughter and a son. And um, it's wonderful. Well, now we've talked a lot about Rotary. And, you know, my dream for Rotary is that peace will become the next big priority that even though we all have different definitions for peace, peace to me is security, that this uh-huh. world needs a security blanket. 
that the children need to feel secure, that every child needs to be safe. So do you think that Rotary could fulfill our dream for this next decade? What's your dream for Rotary for the next decade? Um, well, the first dream come, uh, takes me back to 2005. I was in Chicago when Rotary celebrated uh, its 100th anniversary and we had a parade and walked, marched down the streets of Chicago and I chatted with a couple of law enforcement officers that were monitoring the parade and they said they hadn't seen parades this large, but they had never seen a parade so diverse. You know, because of course the Rotarians were from all over the world, they were wearing their costumes and, and sometimes they had brought props and uh, it was quite something. And as I, I marched, I, actually I was riding a truck with Zone 22, I asked myself, Will we have another parade in 2105? So my first dream is that Rotary lives and survives another hundred years. Mm. Um, my second dream for Rotary is uh, that its membership becomes more diverse. If you look at us as an organization, we represent many nations, many religions, many skin colors. Um, but if you look within our individual nations, our membership isn't as diverse. And if, if you're not understanding what I'm saying, for those of you who are watching, look around your own club and compare it to your community. So that's my dream for the next decade. Well, thank you. Those are wonderful dreams. And thank you for sharing the parade. I bet they were impressed. I bet they were. You know, I went to the, the Rotary Convention in Georgia. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe that many people got on airplanes. I mean, 40,000 people were in that Georgia pavilion. I just said, wait a minute. And then when Bill Gates got up on the up on in the auditorium, I didn't even know they had buildings that big. It was just like, <laughs> were you there in Georgia? I, I was there briefly, not for the whole convention, but yes. I oh, can you believe it? Yeah. I just never saw so many Rotarians. So that is very impressive. And I hope one of these days we can have another parade, another parade with the Rotarians. That is so, um, such an example of what we can be. And, and you know, the people that I met at that convention were so proud to be Rotarians. Yeah. They were just beyond joyful because not only and they were in wheelchairs some of them walking in crutches yes. they weren't going to miss this conference that's right yeah that's, that's what they well rotarians are really amazing and uh we did the 2016 world peace conference and the 2020 world peace conference and then we started the rotary e-club of world peace in 2016 and it's really interesting speaking of diversions and diversion diversity by finding that they can be anywhere in the world and become a member of rotary and that's the part i love you don't have to be, you know, bound by your boundaries on your state or your country. You can join Rotary and you're part of a group of families, families of Rotary, right? Right. Well, Carolyn, do you have a dream for our planet before we end our interview today, our little peace podcast? A dream for our planet? Yeah. What would you like to see now that you've been through... You know, some of the trials and tribulations and fabulous ways to express the glory of what you've done. And you are a miracle and, and we love you. And I know you really appreciate people. And I wanted to hear 
what do you want our world to be like maybe in 20 years from now? Well, you have said a lot of nice things about me today. And I guess my dream would be a day when it wouldn't be necessary to think that what I've done is unusual. And that uh, the chances that I've had and experiences that I've had would be open for all little kids, girls and boys everywhere. That is absolutely the most beautiful dream. That opportunity comes to you, regardless of your race, color, nationality. That opportunity is what we need people to do. That's my dream too. I think I'm right with you that there's so much that can be done. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Just do it. That's the way I describe you, Carolyn. I always felt that as I watched you over on YouTube and all the other places, I kept thinking, she didn't wait. She did what was needed. You didn't have to go back to Russia 35 times, but you did. That's a lot of gumption on your part. You never said no, did you? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is so great. I hope you're listening to Carolyn with that other eye in the middle. You're seeing who she is. You're hearing with your heart and your soul of what brought her to this kind of a position in the world where every Rotarian knows her name. It's almost like you just can't believe all the things she's done for Rotary. And if you're not sure about Rotary, just go to Rotary. Is it ri.org, Rotary International? Or is it Rotary.org, Carolyn? Rotary.org. Rotary.org. I'm Barbara Gahn-Muller, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Carolyn. I want to thank our listeners. And remember, peace begins with me and starts with the conversation. And so I hope that you'll have a conversation with people to let them know what it means to you to be in a world of peace and a joy at having these wonderful Peace Podcast guests. Thank you, Carolyn, again. It was just wonderful. Thanks, Barbara. You're welcome. It's my pleasure.